You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Sometimes I uh, receive a a prayer request and uh, receive this one this morning. Um, A man by the last name of Hutcherson, uh, who was uh, diagnosed with cancer, not doing well. Um, But the uh, bigger need, my understanding, is that he does not know the Lord. And uh, so would you make a note, write down the name Hutcherson. Remember this man in your prayers. Uh, as those trying to minister to him uh, the good news of the gospel. Well, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 20 through 27. This is uh, the second part of Daniel's prayer, what we would, I think, reasonably call God's answer to Daniel's prayer in verses 1 through 19. Daniel's been reading the prophet uh, Jeremiah whom, uh, where God promised that after 70 years of being in Babylonian exile, they would, the Israelites would get to return to the land of Israel. Daniel is praying for this, praying for that God would restore his people and his city, Jerusalem, and uh, his temple, and that they would be able to go home. Here is the Lord's answer um, in verse 20. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the prince of the peace uh, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. We need the Lord's help. (laughs) Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that um, you have given it to us as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. 
Uh, we thank you um, for your life-giving truth. But Lord, we pray for your help to understand it. And in a difficult part of, of Scripture like this, we need your help. And so grant us humility, grant us understanding, grant us ears to hear the things that you would say to us today. I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a Peanuts cartoon, Linus is interpreting a nursery rhyme. And he tells Charlie Brown, uh, he says, the way that I see it, he says, the cow jumped over the moon indicates that there's going to be a rise in beef prices. And Linus asks if Charlie agrees with that. Charlie Brown says, uh, I can't say. He says, I don't pretend to be a student of prophetic literature. I have to admit, I feel a lot like uh, Charlie Brown when it comes to the ending here of Daniel chapter 9. And I would love to be able to stand up to you and say, well, you know, I'm really not sure, <laughs> to be honest, what this means. And I don't pretend to be a student of prophetic literature. But you understand and I understand that I cannot do that in order to be a faithful pastor. Verses 24 through 27 there are some of the most mysterious uh, verses in uh, all of the Bible. And it's a very brief section, isn't it? It's just four verses. Um, and, and that is enough, in, in my view, to call this an obscure text concerning uh, this, the, the things that are talked about here. It's also difficult because uh, the New Testament, as I read it, nowhere clearly refers to this passage. And so a lot of times, the difficult passage, we can look forward in the New Testament, see what they said about it, helps us to understand what this really meant in this particular day. But we have no clarification to, to look for uh, in the New Testament. And so that makes it challenging. If the 70 weeks that is described here of this prophecy, uh, if it's fundamental to a biblical theology, then I would expect it to come up again in the New Testament. But it doesn't. It's just not, it's not there. I would expect it to have been explained, developed, applied by the apostles in some way that would help us to understand what's being said, but it's simply not there. And so that means that we have to make some very difficult decisions about this text as we try to interpret and understand it. So let me give you a sampling of this. Just focus your eyes on verse 24 there and listen to what I'm going to say about the questions that we have to answer for this. Uh, verse 24, what are the sevens or the weeks? Are they meant to be taken literally or figuratively? It's a huge question. Uh, how are we to understand the things that are promised there in verse 24? You see, he gives a list there. We'll talk about those in a moment. But are those things fulfilled at the coming of Christ the first time, or are they going to be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ? We have to make a decision. Who is the anointed one in verse 25? Is that the Messiah, or is that some other ruler? that's being spoken about there. What about the phrase after the 62 weeks in verse 26? Do you see it there? Does that verse describe what is therefore happening in the 70th week? Or is there a gap of time that that verse is uh, uh, that's left out of that verse? Uh, verse 26, who is the anointed one who is cut off 
We have to decide who that is. Who is the prince in verse 26? Who is the, this is a huge question, verse 27, who does the he refer to there? Is it Jesus? Is it the Antichrist? Is it somebody else? Is the covenant that's spoken of in verse 27, is that the new covenant? Or is that some kind of a, a, a political agreement kind of a covenant because it, it says that, uh, that it's only temporary. Is it a positive thing, verse 27, that the sacrifices and offerings stop? Is that a positive thing or is that a negative thing? How are we supposed to read that? And then we have to ask maybe even a bigger question. Perhaps you're already thinking to yourself this morning, what in the world does all of this mean and why does it have anything to do with me today? One thing that it means, and I hope that you'll hear this, Uh, in the right spirit today. But one thing that it means is that if you're tuning in to uh, your latest uh, prophecy podcast or uh, old school prophecy radio hour, that anybody who comes to this passage and says, it is perfectly clear what Daniel is saying here. You know that they're, they're not, they've not studied this text. It's not perfectly clear what Daniel is saying here. And so we have to approach this passage very humbly, and I'm trying to do that today, recognizing that there are godly men and women who love the Bible and who love Jesus as I do, as we do, and yet may come to a different interpretation of this text. And uh, because there's no way for me to give every possible interpretation and meaning, or else we would be here until next Thanksgiving probably, I want to focus on some of the main things, and then also some of the reasons of why this, this is important. Um, we're reminded of some of those things of why it's important in verses 20 through 23. This is the context. The context is Daniel's been praying, hasn't he? Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God while I was speaking in prayer. He says it again. The man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. You remember verse 19. Daniel had prayed, Oh, Lord, hear, he said. Delay not, he, he says. And here God sends Gabriel who is uh, to be clear proof that Daniel's prayer was, in fact, heard. One of the assurances of this, of this text is that God hears our prayers. Ferguson notes it like this. God always hears prayers immediately, even when his answer is long in coming. God hears the prayers of his people. Notice the assurance that God gives Daniel. Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas, talking about his prayers, Gabriel says, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. So here's Daniel. He's, he's anxious about his life. He's anxious about God's people, about what's going to happen. He's been praying, God, restore your people. And here, Gabriel, as a messenger of God, is sent to assure Daniel of God's love and promises. We should not miss that. This prophetic message in verses 24 through 27 is meant to be one, surprisingly, that is not confusion and leads us to anxiety, but rather it's meant to be one that, that is assurance and one that encourages us. 
Gabriel's come to help Daniel and God's people to understand. Verse 22, O Daniel, I've come now to give you insight and understanding because as a part of the people of God, he tells him, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Isn't that wonderful, church? Precious in God's sight. We talked about this at time, Psalm 137. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You remember that? Here's how the psalmist answered. God says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is God speaking about his people. The message Gabriel is about to share with Daniel is meant to give him great assurance, meant to give us assurance. The fact that God hears our prayers, God loves us deeply, God has a plan for the salvation of his people that is nothing short of glorious, amazing, and triumphant, and Gabriel has come to tell him about it and tell us about it as well. So let's look at it together. The first thing he says is more of a general, I think, overview of his plan, or what we might call the scope of the hope. The scope of the hope, it's found in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy Place. Well, that is an enormously hopeful word, isn't it? And, and you can't help but read that, and, and in my mind anyway, I think that is a gospel word, isn't it? When you read that, who do you think about? Oh, well, a couple people got it. Who's the rest of you thinking about? Jesus. It's difficult to read those words and not think of the work of Jesus Christ. So here's Gabriel. He says, a day is coming when God is going to act to do several things. Six things he lists there, in fact. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. This is a hopeful word. Remember all that time he spent confessing sin in verses 1 through 19? It was sin, it was the people's transgressions and sin and iniquity that had led them to the exile in Babylon to begin with. But Gabriel's first message is, let me tell you about this hope that is coming, uh, that, that in which God's people are going to be justified. They're going to be declared right by God himself. They're going to be, their sin's going to be atoned for, and God's going to bring everlasting righteousness to his people. This is what Daniel uh, the good news that, that he would hear at the beginning. And it is good news. What Daniel could only look forward to, in my estimation, uh, because we have the New Testament in Christ, we see backward to and we see these things fulfilled. Romans 5.17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, speaking of Adam, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man who is the one man? This is your chance. Jesus, he says. Jesus. 
Christ came for those things, and he, he did those things. He came to seal up the vision and prophecy. In other words, I, I think that means something like he is God's last word on this matter. This is Hebrews chapter 1. It, it, this is, in all of Jesus, all of God's promises receive their yes and their amen. He has done it. He's fulfilled it. And Christ is, he has anointed, this is the last one, anointed the most holy place. And I, I think this refers, is a reference to the tabernacle, to the most, the holy of holies, as we think about it. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the tabernacle stood for. He is the most holy. He, he, is, he has inaugurated Yahweh ordained worship, which is worship that is in spirit and in truth, as he told the woman at the well. So this is incredible good news. And there's also some bad news, though, isn't it, for Daniel? Because he tells him God's program of salvation, what he's describing here, is not going to come at the end of this 70-year exile that he's in. It's not going to happen right now, he tells him. In fact, he says this period of, of a program, this salvation, would be a, or, or rather this period of judgment, the 70 years that he's been in an exile, is only going to be a small part of God's big plan. One that would take, not take 70 years, but he says 70 weeks, or, or more literally, the, the, the language is 77s. 77s. In other words, God's timetable was far bigger than Daniel ever could imagine in how this plan was going to be worked out. Many people understand these 77s to be a literal period of 490 years. That is, 70 times 7 is 490. I think that's right, math-wise. But there are others who see this period, 7 and 70, as both numbers that represent completeness in the Bible. And therefore, they would take this more figuratively, not literally, a literal 490 years. You remember, as an illustration of this, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? He says, seven times. And you remember Jesus said what? 70 times 7. Now, what he didn't mean was like on the 491st time, you could knock his teeth out. That's not what he meant, was it? We don't understand it to mean that way, but we understand what he's saying. No, this, I'm broadening your perspective here, uh, Peter. Uh, you're, you're to be forgiven. Uh, you're, you're to forgive your brother continually. Gabriel tells Daniel, it's not going to take a mere 70 years to accomplish this kind of transformation in the hearts and lives of God's people, but it's going to take 70 times seven. It's going to take a complete, uh, ultimate, to accomplish a complete and ultimate victory over sin and evil. And so basically he's telling him, Daniel, this is not going to happen in your lifetime. Um, it, it, it's going to take a while. This is the scope of the hope, we might say. Now here's some application uh, for us, and, and we've seen this already uh, at Daniel, uh, in Daniel, but like Daniel, we, we tend to underestimate God's timetable on a lot of things, don't we? Oh, I know that I do. I mean, we live in the age of instant. What would we do without microwaves? I mean, how would you have heated up your leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner if you didn't have it? 
Um, we have instant expectations, instant expectations for our relationships. We have instant expectations for our sanctification, that God would immediately remove the sins that I'm struggling with and that frustrated with and make me right, or that he would immediately fix my spouse who doesn't seem to, to get it, or he would immediately fix our, my children's problems, their behaviors. By next week, he's going to take care of, of this, or that he will immediately grow our church or that the trials and sufferings are going to end immediately. We want God, we want a God with microwavable ways and imminent kinds of solutions. But Daniel 9 reminds us once again, this is not the way God works. Not for salvation, not for sanctification, um, not for how he's going to bring history to a close. It's usually larger and longer than we think. And it's important that we remember that so that we will, again, have a long-term perspective, so that we will have, be patient with God's work in our lives, in our own lives, and we will also be patient with God's work in, in other people's lives around us. And even our church. That's not to say we get lax. That's not to say we take this laissez-faire kind of approach to our sanctification. That's not what it means at all. We're to, we're to be pursuing Christ and holiness with everything that we have. Amen? And just We know that the way God works is a, a long view of understanding. It's as if, verse 24, he's saying, here's what I'm going to do, Daniel, but I'm not going to do it right away. So you need to hunker down. You need to settle into a long faithfulness towards your final hope. Think of it as perseverance. Eugene Peterson said long, he defined perseverance as long obedience in the same direction. That's what's being communicated here. The scope of the hope, patient perseverance. We need to hear that message, church. Well, secondly, notice the tone of the time. So, verse 24, he's laid out the general program of what he's going to do. Verses 25 and 26, he gives us more information Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there, will, there shall be seven weeks. All right, so he's dividing up the time here. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time, so it's 69 weeks. And then he says, after the 62 weeks plus the seven weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, shall have nothing. The prince of the peace who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So notice, he, Gabriel breaks up the 77s. Here's the big picture, verse 24, what I'm going to do. Now, here's three periods or seasons of time. Uh, seven weeks, verse 25a, there's going to be seven weeks. Then there's going to be 62 weeks, verse 25b. And then there's going to be one week, verses 26 and 27. And again, I, I would say these probably don't represent literal weeks and years, but rather a figurative period of time. First, he says, the seven, first, the seven weeks are a time uh, when hope returns. Uh, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... To the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. I, I take that word to restore as probably the prophetic word of Jeremiah that he had been reading about that we mentioned last week where God said in Jeremiah, when 70 years are completed, 
I'll visit you, I'll fulfill to you my promise, bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That, that's what that means. And the anointed one here, I think, is probably the Persian king Cyrus. The reason I think it was him is because it was Cyrus who gave the Israelites permission to go back to the promised land. Isaiah 45, verse 1, calls Cyrus God's anointed one. Strange to use that language, but he calls him that. Um, rather, it's him. If, if you disagree and say, I don't think it's him, that's fine. It, whether it's him or someone else, it must have been very encouraging to Daniel because this was the hopeful word. You're going back to Israel, and you're gonna, the city's going to be rebuilt, the temple's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be a great time. We can all get that. Amen? Then, 62 weeks, he says. Uh, we might say this is a time when, when uh, you know, life goes on, I guess. Verse 25, uh, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So he's talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem here. And so think about this restoration that happened. Think of Ezra in the Old Testament where they're rebuilding the temple. Think of Nehemiah where they're rebuilding the walls. Think of the troubles that some of that was bringing about. And note what he says, this, this will be a troubled time. You know, think of Nehemiah. There's opposition, challenge, difficulty to that that, that process. Some say this period of time also includes that 400-year period where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, a 400-year period where there no prophets were sent by God, a silence, if you will, from God that wouldn't be broken until John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts preaching. Duguid writes here, I think, helpfully. Once again, he says, this turns our expectations of history on their head. We tend to assume that if God is in control of history and of our lives, then they should run fairly smoothly onward and upward towards glory. There may perhaps be a few hiccups along the way, but on the whole, we expect, Duguid writes, that God's going to make our path smooth and easy, especially when we're walking with Him in obedience. And yet, notice this, 69 out of Daniel's 77s are marked by difficulties and trials. And I wish I could say the 70th is no different. We might describe the final week, there is a time when clouds gather, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Now, now, the language Gabriel uses there is a viol- speaks of a violent and even a, a penal death. That is, uh, someone who has been cut off, someone who's been punished, he says. Now, again, I'm giving you another opportunity. That brings to mind who? <laughs> it brings to mind Jesus. I don't think... It takes much imagination to, hear, to see that this is not the same anointed one that was in verse 25. This is a different one. This is the Messiah, Jesus. This is the one Isaiah 53 speaks about. He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of, of my people. I'm sure this was mysterious to Daniel as he's thinking about this one who's going to be cut off. But again, we look back and, and I think and see from the clarity of the Gospels that this is speaking of Jesus, our Messiah. 
who was cut off for us. Notice the phrase, and shall have nothing, which I think is better translated, not for himself. An anointed one shall be cut off, but not for himself. Who was he cut off for? And then once again, an unexpected thing happens. We might think, yes, this is where it's at. Verse 26, though we said, it says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. And its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. I, I wonder if Daniel again, this is so discouraging. I mean, we have hope. Uh, you know, hopeful things. We're going to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. And now here in verse 26, he says, no, it's going to be torn down again, Gabriel says. Jerusalem and the temple are going to be destroyed again. And by the way, they were in A.D. 70 by a man named Titus who is Likely, I think, the prince or the ruler that's mentioned here in verse 26. But there's dispute about that. Notice, it says, even this is not the end. It says, to the end. So he goes on. He's like, after this, to the end there shall be war and desolation. There's going to be ongoing desolations, ongoing conflict, ongoing troubles. We, we might even say, it seems like Jesus said this when he said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, all the way to the end. He says, that's the tone of the times. There's going to be difficulties, troubles. There's going to be a continuing conflict between this powerful enemy and, and God's cause until the end of 70 weeks. There's no, there's no prospect of peace here. Okay. Now, at the risk of making some of you a little bit upset at me, we have to make some decisions here. I want to tell you about another viewpoint of this. There are those who believe there is a gap of time there in verse 26 between the 69th week and the 70th week. Notice it just says after the 62 weeks. It doesn't just say like, okay, now we're in the 70th week. So the language kind of lends itself to that. They, they, there, there's some who think that we are living in this gap there in verse 26, and the 70th week hasn't started yet. So we've gotten, we're basically in this time of history of 69 weeks, and there's a gap. And according to this view, the 70th week will start when the church is secretly raptured out of the world. That's the viewpoint. It's called dispensationalism. This is taught by David Jeremiah, who I I, I, I greatly respect. It's also the viewpoint of those of you who have read Left Behind Books, uh, that series. Several of you, I think, have probably read that, uh, that series. A Siri thinks I'm asking it something, but I'm not asking it anything. Um, help. How about that? Help me. Um, but according to that teaching... All things that we're reading about here, even, even verse 24, that list of six things that we talked about, they haven't happened yet either. That that's going to happen sometime later in this 70th week. Uh, only after the church has been secretly raptured out of this world. I tell some of my dispensational friends, and some of you are, are those folks, I, I, I love to talk, uh, to talk about this. I always tell my dispensational friends, I hope that you are right. 
Uh, and if you are right and we are raptured up out of this world from all the troubles that, and tribulations that we're going to go through, I'm going to be hugging you and confessing to you my ignorance about how wrong I was um, about this. But beloved, I don't see this in the text. I just don't see it. I don't see a gap here in the verses. I mean, if you see one, and some reason I need to see one, I don't see one, and nor do I, I'm going to be honest, nor do I see any kind of a secret rapture of the church anywhere in the Bible. I don't, I don't see it. But rather what I do see is the, is the tone of the times here of what Daniel was saying. It's going to be one of, of tribulation and conflict and suffering all the way up to the end. And, and I think the application here is not that we're going to be raptured out of the trouble. I think the application and the aim of this is that God continues to preserve his people through the troubles that are coming. That he's going to sustain us to the very end, to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Daniel, he says, you are, we could apply this and say we are greatly loved by God, church. The fact that God sends Gabriel to help him to understand these things and Daniel record it, records it for us, this, this means that we too share in the assurance that God was given him about this great plan of salvation and how he will sustain us to the very end. And this salvation will be glorious. Well, I probably stepped in it with some of you. We've saved the hardest first to the end. Now, isn't that fun? Uh, oh, and we're just about out of time. That's, a, that's tough. I could play the card from Charlie Brown's playbook here. I have no idea. But uh, let me make an attempt. The third heading we might call the elimination of the enemy. Verse 27, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So now we're down to some really detailed stuff. Strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This verse is very difficult. There is so much debate about even the, how to interpret it in the Hebrew. So many different things. The first question, perhaps the, the big question to ask is, who is the he referring to in verse 27? Who is it talking about? Here's what two of my favorite Bible expositors that I, I read and think about and interact with, you know, on, on these, these texts. Two of my favorite Bible expositors have opposing answers on this. One says that the he is Jesus, the other says that he's the Antichrist. Now, how in the world did we end up that far apart? Here in verse 27, but it shows you something of the debate, doesn't it? The difficulty here. If, if the he is mentioned is Jesus, then the covenant that he's speaking there is the new covenant which he initiates by his cross and resurrection, therefore putting an end to sacrifices. That's one way you could see that. And by the way, Jesus did put an end to the sacrifices, didn't he? I mean, we looked at Hebrews. That very thing happened. I'm, I, I wouldn't deny that. He's the ultimate sacrifice for us. But in saying that, I don't think that he is Jesus. I think it's more natural to read this verse, the he, as the one carrying over from the end of verse 26. That's the way I would normally read things, that he was the last person they were talking about, which 
is likely the Antichrist, the one who came to destroy the city and sanctuary. Secondly, I can't see Jesus making some kind of temporary covenant for half a week. That sure doesn't seem like the way our God works. Uh, I think it's more of a political agreement that this Antichrist-like ruler is making. Uh, It's temporary. Third, anytime worship is stopped in the book of Daniel, it's always by an ungodly ruler. We've seen it over and over again. And so I tend to think this is probably some kind of antichrist figure. Here's where we might find agreement. Verse 27 at the end. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. So we're talking about somebody else who's coming now. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So he seems to switch gears here at the end and talk about the enemy of God. Perhaps this, this is someone who's been foreshadowed already by uh, Titus from AD 70 who did those terrible things in Jerusalem. Uh, the Antiochus, you remember that little horn that, that Daniel, Daniel chapter 8 to uh, 168 BC who attacked Jerusalem, killed all these people. This seems to be someone like that, perhaps the man of lawlessness, the end, the desolator. This person, whoever he is, he comes... He he exalts himself, he imposes his authority, he forbids true worship, he instigates idolatrous worship, and then, I love this, as Dale Ralph Davis says, he runs straight into the meat grinder of God's decree. In other words, his end is predetermined, it is certain, it is on target, God will deal with him. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Truth Church. You remember back in 2008, uh, one of our Navy cruisers was charged with shooting down a disabled satellite. And the satellite was the size of a bus. It was heading toward the earth. Um, the USS Lake Erie, Erie off the coast of Hawaii was tasked with shooting down this this satellite. They only had a firing window of 30 seconds, and this satellite's traveling at 17,000 miles an hour, and they scored a direct hit on it. The timing was precise. The shot was accurate. The destruction was complete. All of it took enormous amount of planning and uh, thinking, but, but quite amazing. What Gabriel tells Daniel here it, is that the calculations for the destruction of the last tyrant who's going to assault God's people, the calculations have already been made. Be encouraged by this church. We don't don't understand everything about this passage, but this is great news. We might summarize the message like this. God calls us to long obedience in the church. God promises to sustain us through troubled times. And here's the good news. And the great enemy of God's people, he already sits in the Lord's crosshairs with the date of his demise already on the Lord's calendar. Do you see how loved you are, church? Do you see how precious you are, church? Do you see what a glorious part, glorious plan of salvation that God has for His people? Well, that was exciting. Amen. One more thought. (laughs) What a delight Gabriel must have had some 500 years later when he 
begin to see the Father's plan unfold. We came to a city of Nazareth to a virgin named Mary with a promise that she would bear a son and he would save his people from their sins. What a glorious gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Are you among his people? Can you rest with Daniel in these promises? Or I might be so pointed to ask this. Are you too in his crosshairs? You shouldn't wait for another moment. Humble yourself. Believe this gospel. Trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you. I pray that even in a very difficult passage that we can find some things that we would agree about. None more significant than the fact that you are coming again. And that all of us need to make sure that we are right with you. We thank you that you have already made a way for us through Jesus. And we pray for your help, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on him. And we pray for those that don't know you. We think of the, the man that we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, Mr. Hutcherson, Lord. But there are others like him who don't know you. Lord, work in their hearts and lives your saving grace. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.